Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, the podcast, Austin. I'm not sure how to think about today. We're doing a ride-along today. It's going to be the first of many, actually. You know, this is, especially after he came on the first time and uh, the feedback that we got, that even though he sounded terrible, probably the worst-sounding episode we've ever done, you know, if you look at (laughs) how many people listened to it and talked about it, I feel like we didn't have a choice but to bring him back. Jokes aside, it was such a great podcast uh, and such a great conversation about life. Having him get back on is, uh, I think this is going to be a regular deal. I think we should figure out a way to bring him on routinely. Well, he doesn't have a choice now. After we uh, flew out to Phoenix just to see him and to give him a proper microphone, so that we could do this, I feel like we have no choice but to bring them on monthly. And we're going to dub it Ride Alongs with Rob. That's right. It flows. We we thought about many names, some appropriate, some inappropriate, uh, but finally settled for that one. Well, it was the safest one we could come up with. So let's, uh, let's get him on here. Ride Along with Rob. Rob D., are you on with us? Yes, sir. And does, I'm glad I'm not sounding like I'm in the shitter. So, uh, and for all the audience that listened to me, uh, I was not in the shitter. Uh, I was in my office and it just sounded like I was in the shitter. So, uh, yeah, ride along to Rob, baby. Uh, this is going to be a thing. I got my own mic. I'm so glad you're on here, man. What, uh, what's been happening? What's been, uh, what's been going on with, uh, Rob lately? So I got a full-time job. Isn't that a kick in the nuts? Um, it's it's a struggle, man. It's a it's struggle <laughs> going from uh, back in the grind. Going from retirement, yeah, going from retirement to uh, you know waking up, going to work, do, dealing with paperwork and people. It's just it was so much better just staying at home. You know, but you still have the smile though, man. You're still smiling. And we had a, such a great time out there in Phoenix uh, recently with uh, you and your wife, Shannon. Thanks for being great hosts. You know, I, I love you got, having you guys out here. And man, what a blast. And to watch you guys polish off those Sundays was uh, definitely interesting. <laughs> and that messed me up for like three days afterwards, by the way. Uh, I knew it would, but it was so good that I, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Ate the whole thing. You weren't in the conversation I had with Brad because uh, I asked him how bad it messed him up. And he was like, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. He's got a stomach of steel because that thing was so much dairy, so much sugar. Like uh, any normal human being is not going to be feeling all right after that. You got you guys have my uh, you have my heart, man, because you just polished off some sushi. And then you go in and you're like, I'm going to go <laughs> this monster and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was like, I got a 40-minute ride home. I can't do it. Shannon knocked that out too, like a beast. Because she's a trooper, man. She is a beast. And uh, do not get on her wrong side because she can she could take down a Sunday and she can also take down me. So <laughs> I am afraid of that woman. I don't see it. I see nothing but sweet there. I don't see it. Well, I think it's there is uh, you may cause that to come out of Shannon. Uh, I don't know. We spent enough time together, Rob, that uh, 
you, you know, you may bring out the best in her is what we'll call it. Uh, yeah. Has anyone met me? <laughs> I bring out the what, uh, best slash worst in every single person I'm around. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Can I drive people nuts? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, uh, as we ride along with Rob today, um, so you got the new job. Tell us, tell us what that is. What's, what's going on with that? I was blessed, man. I, I got the best job in the world. Uh, I work for uh, Gigi's Playhouse. It is just incredible what they do. I work with mothers that are pregnant with children with Down syndrome, all the way up to full adults with Down syndrome. And we offer them programs uh, to uh, help new mothers know what is expected and what what's to come uh, with a child with special needs and to when they're toddlers and infants, uh, showing them how to use sign language for people that are nonverbal, uh, how to use their iPads uh, to communicate if they're nonverbal. And then as they grow, we offer free tutoring in literacy and math. And then we also set them up for the real world, man. Like uh, we have GG Prep, which is uh, getting kids or young adults ready for the real world and knowing how to build a resume and knowing how to work. And then they go to GG University where they uh, graduate and work in our cafe. And let me tell you, their coffee is amazing. And they do chai lattes and all that stuff. I tried to work in the cafe and yeah, they just laughed at me because I can't make a chai latte. It's just, it's a Brad drink and I just, I'm good with black coffee. <laughs> so Rob, you're, it sounds like you are living my dream. Cause uh, I know we talked about it when, you know, we saw you in Phoenix. That was what I originally was going to do as uh, as an adult, but I uh, couldn't, couldn't handle my liquor. So I uh, wasn't blessed enough to work with that population. I dude, I got a question for you. So, you know, Obviously, I think if anyone listened to the last episode, they know you are medically retired uh, from Phoenix PD. How did that transition happen? How did you walk into that job? My job with Gigi's. So I retired from Phoenix and I was home and I was up to no good. I was, uh, you know, just annoying my wife and being nonproductive. I had some days of depression that were just awful. I couldn't get off the couch uh, sleeping all day. <laughs> At times I forgot to take showers. So you're welcome. So yeah, just depression was taking over. And my wife, one day we're driving down uh, Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale, uh, years ago. And she said, Hey, that's Gigi's playhouse. That's amazing. That place. And I'm like, what's a Gigi and why is there a playhouse? So my wife, cause of social media knew all about it. And I go, that would be the coolest place to go to. So my therapist was like, dude, you need to, you need to get out of the house. Uh, you need to volunteer. You need to do something. So I was like, oh man, that one place, Gigi's Playhouse. I think, I think that's going to be like the coolest place in the world. So it was like the easiest thing to do. I uh, went on their website. I applied uh, to be a volunteer, did my orientation and was blessed with so many wonderful people that just open arms got me in and i fell in love you know my first class was uh elemental p which is with the toddlers and infants and teaching them sign language and then we went straight over to uh 
to fit and watched them get to play in the gym. Uh, it was awesome. And then I met my adults and God, talk about a smile on your face from ear to ear. It's just, they are, they mess with you and it's hilarious. They, uh, we have jokes and, you know, we play and we work out together and we do some karaoke at the end of the day. And uh, they have to listen to me sing on a microphone, which is those poor guys and girls. But it's just, it brings a smile to your face every time you go there. It's incredible. So this is, I mean, you're, you're compiling that up in a, what seems like a pretty short amount of time. It actually wasn't, this took a, this took a hot minute for you to kind of find this and transition into this stage of life that you're at right now, right? Oh, 120% struggling with nightmares and flashbacks and hanging guys in my freaking kitchen and, uh, explosive explosiveness and yelling at my wife and not getting along with people and basically lying to everybody at work and, uh, coming home and lying at home going, everything's fine. Everything's great. You give the thumbs up and everybody thinks you're fine, which is totally false. Like I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. And I give the thumbs up, but people, I hope people were like, dude, that guy's messed up. Uh, and that, that's what happened with, uh, two different people at work. They were like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, (laughs) yeah, you say everything's fine, but we're looking at you and you're going to have a heart attack at your desk. So yeah, it was a long journey. And, uh, you know, when, when I was having suicidal thoughts and tried to kill myself, they got me into Chateau and, uh, you know, it was hard, man. There's a lady there called, uh, she's called Pam. Uh, Her name is Pam. We had a really, really good sit down conversation and we did a walk and talk and she's like, what are you doing with your life? Really? And she called me out on the carpet. She's like, do you want to be miserable for the next four years until you hit that magical 20 years and everything will be great? Or do you want to get right? Do you want to be with your wife, be a loving husband and excel in life and be happy? I'm like, wow, you put it to me that way. Yeah. And it was, it was cool because uh, during that time I had like this amazing sense of clarity while I was at Chateau that I was like, you know what? Yeah. You know what? She's right. That helps with therapists and all that stuff as well. But she just has a way of spinning things that, you know, allow people like me that have a thick skull and, you know, I'm a knuckle dragger. So, uh, so when I went to Chateau, I wanted no one and I mean, no one to know. So I ninja it and, uh, I went, I went off the grid. Uh, I told, I told my uh, department, I'm like, Hey, well, and at first I was like, I just need a month off, just FMLA me for a month. And, I was going to, you know, do an uh, intensive outpatient type thing. And the more I stayed away from work, uh, the worse my depression got. And, you know, basically telling my wife, like, hey, find some other dude that's going to take care of you uh, because it's not going to be me. The depression was just awful. And that's when they got me. That's when they got me the help that I needed. And... I just kind of went off the radar when I was at work and 
and then that turned into a thing when I got out of Chateau because I was accused of going rogue and not talking to people. And there were some things that I didn't agree with that some people were saying and they weren't the exact facts, uh, especially when you can't communicate when you're in Chateau. <laughs> so it's hard to, hard to talk uh, when you're not able to. So that was, that was some difficulties. Uh, and then retirement, man, it takes forever to retire from the police department, especially medically. And man, it was a struggle. Retiring with a mental illness caused by the police department, caused by just the job and the multiple things that you see and do, it's, it's, they, they test you. It's, it's another thing that they have to do and the department has to do it. I, I totally understand it, but it's a long process and you're vulnerable. You are 100% vulnerable because, you know, you have to fill out paperwork that's saying, hey, this is what's going on with me. So, Rob, this is going to be something that a, a ton of people want to know. And, and if you're okay going in with it, because there's going to be people listening that really want to understand what it looks like to medically retire in that process. And, of course, each state is different. Each department is different. But would you give us a little idea of what you had to go through to get this accomplished? Oh, so thank God I was, uh, before I went to Chateau, even before I left work or whatever, I was trying to get as much help as I could. I was in a group, best group ever. Uh, they will call you out and they will be there to support you. It's like any AA or anything to that effect. Like these guys call me out all the time. Uh, and they also go through the same things I do, depression, post-traumatic stress, anxiety, all that stuff. So they were a rock uh, when I was going through my retirement. Most of them are retired. So they knew the process. They knew what the traumas and the dramas that were going to present themselves. And so I had an idea of what was going to happen. Filling out the paperwork, you know, people are like, oh, dude, just filling out the paperwork is going to be easy. You know, like you just fill out the forms and write what happened to you. I was so mentally unwell. It took me months to fill out the paperwork. I, I, I was scared to death. This is a death sentence on your career, man. A career that I loved and a career that if you gave me a pill right now, and it was a magical pill. I'd go back in a second, but I know that it's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for, my wife is not healthy for the community for me to go back. Um, I was just angry and horrible and, you know, the never ending thoughts of how can I kill myself today? You know, so I finally got enough strength with the amount of support that I had was incredible. And I filled out the paperwork and then it goes, goes to never, never land, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I knew that I was going to have to get doctor's records and, you know, I've been, I've been struggling with this and I've had so many doctors and stuff like that. Cause I tried to cure myself before I, uh, had to make this decision. So I being the OCD person that I am went to every single doctor that I ever went to 
and got medical records. And when I uh, went to the retirement office to hand in my paper, she got like a stack, like a binder that was like uh, totally like paged out. And <laughs> it was it was special. And the lady looked at me and goes, what is this? I was like, my retirement paperwork. She's like, people just hand me the little packet. And I'm like, well, not this guy. So, you know, you drop it off and then you don't hear anything and talk about anxiety. Like I, because, you know, when I do something, I want to do it now and I expect you to do it. And that's not how it ha it's, that's not how it works. It's you're on my time. We have to get our own records. We have to do our own research and then, then we'll get to you and you go to a board. You know, I think sometimes, and, and, and having been retired, I'm I'm now officially retired five years. I think we forget that we should advocate for ourselves in this retirement process, that we have a, you know, we're indoctrinated to think somebody else is going to take care of this for us, or it's just going to magically happen. Uh, retirement has been different in that capacity that you, ha you have to advocate for yourself. You're going to have to take, and that's what I hear you saying, Rob, that all these things that needed to take place, you had to do that for yourself. There's nobody else in your corner doing that for you. You either have to push them, poke them, prod them to get moving in your behalf. Or it, 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 did you have this? Am I sensing that correctly? You know, I thought that. And I thought, you know, this is my own feelings. Uh, I'm like, they're slowing down. They're not, they're not doing it because of A, B, and C. And you know what? I was wrong. I was impatient. And... When I got to the board, uh, board schedule, board calendar, and you sit through a board, you realize how hard these people work on this board to listen to the retirements, to listen to these horrific stories that the men and women that are protecting their streets, their, their livelihoods are going through. And they get, uh, I mean, I don't know how these people just read after read after read of just horrible stories to people that dedicate their life to protect them, you know, people seriously injured. Uh, I mean, they don't read it at the board. Like they're not going to, you know, tell your drama to uh, an open board, but these people have to read it. They, they read every single thing that I provided them. Uh, they sent it to a doctor who provided a summary. So yeah, they're, these people, I mean, my, my stories that I provided or my thing that I submitted, it was not for the faint of heart. Like people that read it were like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, no, man, uh, this is just what I did. This is what I went through. It, it's totally fine. But yeah, those people, God bless them. They have a hard job. They have an extremely hard job and they are inundated. So ours are separated uh, with police and fire. So you have a fire board for retirement. You have a police board for retirement. They meet on the same day and fire usually goes first. Uh, and then PD, it's just how it works out alphabetically and that kind of thing. So it's not one's better than the other. And, you know, you are, well, not you, I was shaking. I you know, these people have your retirement on the line here. And it's based on, you know, the first board is, hey, do you have enough 
for us to send you to a doctor. And they're paying a ton of money to doctors to see if you are or you aren't suffering from illness or injury. And they read your stuff and then they go, well, and they make that first decision on the board and say, yeah, you're going to go to a doctor or no, I'm sorry. We're going to have to table this and you're going to have to provide more information or whatever they, they need to make their decision. That doesn't mean that you're not going to retire. It just means that they need more information. They need whatever that they request. Uh, so it's not a death sentence, but it is, you know, Hey, you need to do a little bit more work. And, uh, I was fortunate enough. They read my stuff and they sent me to their doctors, uh, here in Phoenix. It's, uh, first you go to a psychologist, you take the test that you took when you were going through the, uh, process for getting hired. Uh, and you meet with a guy and you're talking with him for about three hours. And I, because I had my group and I was told what to expect, I did not drive there. <laughs> I, my wife was, uh, was very kind and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be in there for hours. So she ended up going to the mall and doing her thing while I was in there. I was so messed up after I was done with him. Uh, not because he was a bad doctor or anything like that. He was actually a really nice guy. It's just, you dredge up everything everything that you've been through treatment and traumas and dramas and how it affected you and that kind of thing. And it's just, it takes its toll on you. I was physically and mentally exhausted. My mind was just gone. And, uh, you know, I had to take my emergency med afterward. I, it messed me up that bad. So, you know, my wife was, she's been through all this. She's, you know, Chateau allowed her to know what's going on and know how to react in these kind of situations. So she planned out the entire night afterward. I uh, went out to a nice dinner and, you know, we relaxed and no traumas, no dramas, no, you know, issues, limited the phone calls and, uh, you know, got through it. And then you get through all that. And you got to go to another doctor and you know, the second doctor, uh, super nice guy, just, it was in a lockdown facility that I had to go to. And of course I'm a cop. So I get there an hour early because this is an important meeting and I'm sitting in a lockdown facility for an hour and that, <laughs> that was not, that was not very kind for me. And, uh, I, I struggled, I struggled a lot while I was there. I struggled a lot during my interview with the doctor and my wife was working. So I was unable to, you know, she didn't give me a ride home. So one of the guys from the group gave me a ride home and he's, he's incredible. Dude waited around for hours while I'm in there. And I, uh, I called him and I, I was just so messed up that I go, dude, I don't care where you are. I need to walk away from this place. I messed up. I need help. I'm going to walk northbound. Find me. <laughs> and he's like, dude, dude, no, I'm in the parking lot. Like, <laughs> but I was just, he's like, dude, you need, 
dude, what is wrong with you? Like, you need to, I go, dude, it's a lockdown facility. And uh, he's, I don't even remember talking to him. Like, he's like, take your pill, take your pill, take your pill. And I'm like, all right. So I took, I took two pills because I was just super messed up. And I literally do not remember talking to the man from when he picked me up to when I went home. I was just gone. And, and like I said, it wasn't the department. It wasn't the, the doctor. It was just, I was in a bad situation. I had to be in a lockdown facility. I had to deal with all my traumas and dramas and you're going to be questioned. And that's a part of the process. And, you know, as, you know, as a cop, you know, Brad, like if we get questioned and people question our integrity, I lose my mind. I don't know about you, but I lose my mind. I do too. I lose it. I get very defensive. Yep. Same. I have a visual image of Rob D hitchhiking down the uh, I-17 corridor trying to get home. Were you wearing your uh, reflective vest? Uh, I was not. uh, (laughs) It was at home. That would have been funny having me walk down. uh, It was 27th Avenue and uh, walking down 27th Avenue with a, uh, with a police vest on and some <laughs> dress clothes. Cause that's what I thought you had to wear to this thing. You know, as I'm walking or watching people walk out of this medical facility with like paper bags. And I'm like, why do they have paper bags? I'm like, Oh, the plastic. <laughs> so you don't kill yourself. I'm like, Oh my God. I like, I, yeah. And then you go into this guy's office and the door closes. It's like, <laughs> You know, you've painted quite a picture on, uh, you know, how difficult it is, but underneath it, I'm going to back up here because I heard you say these people are actually advocating for you because I didn't medically retire. uh, So my retirement process was vastly different and I did have to advocate for myself on certain things. Nobody gives a shit when you're walking out the door. They, it was a, it really had that feel to it. But what I hear you saying for, you know, for anybody that's considering the scary journey of medically retiring you have people in your corner saying, Hey, we're here for you. Right. And even though it's a difficult, you're describing a very difficult process. Uh, the impact of you being very emotionally deep, mentally deep, physically taking its toll on you. That's what I hear you saying. But yet there's still people saying, we got you. Is that fair? You know, and I, I was blessed, man. I, uh, I had a family that supported me the entire way. Uh, I was, I was petrified telling my parents, you know, here's their baby boy that had this long career that they came out and saw me get, uh, awards and accolades. And, you know, they're, they were proud, you know, they, they had a son that was a homicide detective. That was a Sergeant that trained people and, you know, I have to literally come up to my dad, who's a firefighter and been a firefighter for a bazillion years. He still is a firefighter. And I told him, listen, I'm struggling. I can't do this anymore. I, I'm going to medically retire. And he turned around and he was 100% supportive. He, you know, and I'm blessed because, you know, a guy that's been in the fire service for that long, I, I was, I was petrified and uh, my mom was uh, also a uh, paramedic. So I was afraid to tell her and, 
you know, they were, and my sister was ungodly supportive. Like I couldn't believe how amazing my sister was in this entire journey. Uh, and the bond that I made with my sister um, throughout this journey, 100% unexpected. And it was amazing. So I have all these people in my corner, but I, I sought out the support. So there's people that go through this without anybody. You know, these people, uh, they don't know what, what any groups are. They don't know what they have to do uh, or what the process is. And I could not imagine going through the process of with the unknown going on. So I don't, you know, when do I go to a board? Yeah. You're not going to go to a board for at least three months, but probably six. So it, not knowing that, Oh, I would have been losing my mind. My anxiety would be through the roof. You know, they're messing with me. No, this is the process. They have to gather the records. They have to contact doctors. They have to speak with them, read. And when they get your medical records, doctors like to write a lot of notes and they have to read through every single thing. And then they have to send it to a third party. Then the third party provides them a summary. So it, it takes a while. And the board only meets once a month. So patience is a virtue. And I was definitely not very patient. <laughs> uh, the poor lady that works for the city of Phoenix uh, that does retirements, I was not in the right state of mind. And I <laughs> blew up her email, blew up her telephone. Uh, the guys at group were making fun of me. They said, she's probably going to get an order of protection against you. Because they weren't moving fast enough for me. Because I, it was my mental stuff going on that... I couldn't handle them not working up to my standards. So I go to these doctors and then you got to go to the board and there's no, you know, yeah, bro, you're going to do it. Nobody tells you that you're going to get through it. Nobody's going to tell you that you're retired. Uh, they, they listen to your case. And uh, I had an attorney that helped me through the process uh, to know like how to fill out the paperwork and, and that kind of stuff. It was provided by the union for free. And she was amazing and she got me through it. And, uh, the board says, yeah, you're, you're done, sir. You're a, you are a, a to retire. So, and then they tell you, yeah, you're done. Uh, you need to fill out your paperwork within a certain amount of time. And then it kind of hits you in the gut. Like I'm not a cop anymore. I'm not a sergeant anymore. And you kind of lose your life. Like you lose your identity and talk about depression after that. It's, it's a shot in the gut, like a super shot in the gut. Yeah. There's a, there's some aspects of retirement that are really difficult, which is uh, I do want to, I do want to hit on that. The, the actual transition of separation is really, really hard to swallow some days. Oh, I, it, I realized that my identity was a police officer. You know, you go to parties. Oh, this is Rob the cop. Oh, this is, you know, he was my, he's my sergeant. And I, you only hang out with cops. 
or you're working weekends. So the only people you can hang out with are cops and firefighters because everybody else is working. So I had police memorabilia up at, at my house. I had awards and all this, what my wife and I call tchotchkes, just hanging up everywhere. And it's just a reminder every single day that yes, you're a cop. Uh, that's how I identify. And this is the way of life. And I couldn't imagine if I didn't have any support or retiring either medically or just after 20 years, if I had no support after I filled out those papers, I don't know how anybody handles that. I mean, even the toughest of warriors, it's got to be difficult, especially, hey, you did your 20, 25, 30, 35 years, and that was your life for 30 years or whatever, and now you're just done. And it's got to be mentally draining, and you probably can speak way better than I can because I was uh, you know, medically retired after, you know, 17 years or whatever it was. And I lost my identity. So I couldn't imagine doing the 20 plus years you did. And then just pulling the plug. There's a book, uh, again, I referenced this a couple of times. It's uh, Nick Kumulatis book called the excommunicated warrior. He talks about the seven stages of transition of a military veteran walking out. But I, I would recommend that book to anybody retiring law enforcement as well, because he talks about, and I'll, I'll get it wrong, but he talks about, you know, excitement and apprehension and emotion and anger of, of this, you know, you're attached to a group of people that is really beyond just the actual occupation. It's, it's more deeply embedded. This is life or death type bonding and to separate that and not be a part of that group is pretty heavy. So I don't know that there's a, you know, years is not as impactful in that as it is the bond itself that you have with your groups, your peer groups, your units, your, you know, your designated assigned, whatever, uh, with that. So I, I, I hear what you're saying there. Cause it's, it's a huge separation issue. So let's, let's just for time purposes, let's, let's move on here a little bit because the retirement itself, there comes a point where you transition from some of those negative emotion and feeling and impactful type. I'm mad. I'm scared. I'm, you know, I have apprehension. I have, I'm separated to you found something, Rob, which everybody that I've talked to that talks about happy retirement says retire to something, not retire from something, but you stumbled across something that actually has helped you in your retirement piece. What, what is that again? Tell us what that is. So, and I'll just hit on before I retired and I felt like a failure. I didn't feel like I was supporting my wife, even though I was retired and uh, I was supporting, I was paying my bills and all that stuff, but I didn't, I wasn't making overtime. I wasn't, you know, going to work every day and, you know, being that quote unquote supportive husband that goes out and makes the paycheck. So I literally every single day would get on LinkedIn, uh, this website, that website, applying for jobs. And I kept failing because I, I wanted nothing to do with police work, security, any of that stuff. I needed to change in my life. 
and I interviewed, you know, I, I was shot down and I was never shot down. Like, yeah, I screwed up on police tests, but I knew I screwed up and I knew, uh, you know, yeah, I'm not making detective cause I totally botched that oral board, but it's just a different beast when you're out of public service and way, the way that they interview. And I was getting very frustrated. I was getting very down on myself that, you know, here I am, I can't even get a job. So, you know, I, I, you know, was depressed. And like I said earlier, like my, my doc's like, you got to go do something. And I, I stumbled across GG's and whatever you feel, you know, like if it's, you know, fate or spirituality or whatever, but it led me there. And I went there and I've never felt so accepted, even in, you know, the police department, I felt accepted, but there was always that and but. And I went there and they welcomed me with open arms and they go, go and play. Go and play. Would it, you know, I'm, I'm a grown adult. And I was like, wait, I can hang out with these amazing kids with these amazing parents and play with sand and draw and, you know, teach them things. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is my jam. And I was okay. And I was okay with being a volunteer, 100% okay with it. But the executive director who is hands down the most amazing woman in the world she knew that I was suffering, that I was looking for a job. And it just so happened that one of the amazing employees had to step down for family reasons. And this woman that had my job, oh my God, like she was second to none. Everybody loves this woman. And I'm like, I couldn't take over for her. She's the Tom Brady of programming and here I am like, you know, the third string backup <laughs> and I, I was like, I can't be her. And I told my boss, I said, I can't be her. And she literally told me, you are not her, you are Rob and I want you to be Rob. And I, I never heard that before. I never heard that, Hey, you have your own voice. You have the dedication, you have the, you have what we want. And it just felt just reassuring. And I just thought that that was the most incredible thing that anybody's told me, especially going through this journey and feeling like a failure. And the job that's perfect, <laughs> it's not always perfect. And, you know, before we went on air, I had a bad day yesterday. I woke up depressed. Uh, I was depressed. I felt like a failure. I felt like I wasn't giving my kids what they're my hundred percent. And I just kept beating myself up all day. I did the same thing when I was a cop, especially when I was a detective, like I can't solve every single homicide. And that really affected me extremely bad, especially the cases where they have, you have that victim, that true victim, and you basically have to tell the family, sorry, uh, there's nothing we could do right now to bring it to court. And that's kind of how I felt yesterday. Like I'm stumbling and bumbling, trying to figure out what I'm doing in a new job. And yes, I have like four days officially on this new job. So yeah, I'm going to stumble and bumble, but 
is in my head that if I'm not perfect, then I'm a failure and I need to work on that. And I, and I totally understand that. You know, one of the things that we were talking about there and, and you you're referencing a conversation we had before we jumped on, I had asked you if, if you had figured out how to give yourself a little grace yet. And I think that's a really difficult process to learn and actually continue because I still have to do that myself, which is, Hey, it's okay. This is, this is none of us strive for mediocrity in this profession. We all strive to do our best. However, there are times where, Hey man, I, I had a shitty day yesterday. I'm going to, I'm going to scrub that one. I'm going to do better today, which is a lot of grace instead of really hammering our own self-worth as to man, that shitty day yesterday is who you are which is something we should wipe the slate of and say that's not who I am I'm I'm moving on and that was kind of the context of that are you giving yourself a little grace part of the conversation where we were at there I just think it's important for people to know it's okay to have a bad day you know it's okay to have a shitty day and you know Austin put it right and you agreed with him earlier and you had the same experience that he said and you're not always going to have good days and, and I get it. But when I have one of those bad days, I have a bad day and it just feels like you're in quicksand and you're trying to get out. You're trying to run and you just keep sliding further down in that depression hole. And, you know, I, I, I'm not completely out of it. Uh, but I feel like I'm better than I was yesterday. Of and, you know, that's why I was able to wake up and get out of bed uh, because I know today is a new day. And I talked to one of the therapists at uh, Chateau who is, uh, he's like the word matrix. I, I don't know how he comes up with some of the stuff he does, but uh, I asked him, I said, Stacy, when you wake up depressed, like, how do I stop that? And he goes, you're not, you're never going to stop waking up depressed on a bad day you're going to be depressed like that's what's going to happen no no amount of pills no amount of yoga therapy whatever you have to make that conscious decision to say okay today kind of started out pretty crappy but what can i do what can i control to make this day a little better and i was taken back by that and i wrote it down i wrote it down in my book like okay, we're going to have some bad days and we're going to, we're going to fight through it. And some days you're going to have to fight harder than others. And like I said, yesterday was, that was a 12, uh, 12 round boxing match yesterday. And I was exhausted. Like, I, I was like, I don't even want to eat. I just want to go out of bed. Well, having walked this journey with you, I feel like I've, I've gotten to watch you grow because of the alumni call that we've been a part of. I really feel like I've gotten to watch you grow a little bit. I don't want that to sound condescending. It's a, it's been a pleasure actually to watch the transition of anger to fear to apprehension of that retirement process to the, the growth of, Hey, I'm finally retired to, you know, working with your kids as you call it now and starting to see smiles on board onto, to Rob. Just it's, it's been such a great journey to watch externally and see Rob D at a happy place. And I think it's amazing to now see the recognition of, Hey, 
the balance of having these shitty days and, and knowing full well that tomorrow doesn't have to be a shitty day. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a amazing transition. And I think, you know, we kind of have to wrap this conversation up and, and but we could spend a lot of time talking about this clearly, but for the listeners out there, Rob, if you had a message for them and they're entering into this retirement process, if you had some wisdom for them, like a little uh, ride along with Rob type wisdom for people who are looking at this and staring into retirement, possibly even a re- medical retirement or even a mental health medical retirement, what, what, what we, uh, what's Rob's wisdom for them with that? You know what? Anxiety is going to hit. It is a struggle. You will have your complete ups when they say, yeah, you're going to move on to the next round and your, your downs, the months waiting, the anxiety of putting your retirement, your livelihood in other people's hands. And you have to like, one of my, one of my besties say, let God. And, you know, I'm not very religious or anything like that, but you just got to let go and things will, things will work out the way they're supposed to work out. And I just wanted to add a little bit that you said that, yeah, the uh, first responder community group that we have through Chateau, I went on last night and I was not having a good day, but I was able to work with my peers and I had text messages coming in after the group. And I don't really think that there's anybody else or any other type of uh, place that does that. I mean, I'm a novice in the the world of inpatient treatment, but I, I was so grateful that I had that outlet of police and fire and EMTs and nurses that, yeah, they know what I'm going through. They know they know the ups and downs and depressions and anxieties and all that stuff I was feeling. And I felt like, all right, I'm with my people, and I. And I like that. I like that I had that network of, of help. Rob, thanks for your wisdom today. Such a great morning uh, having a conversation. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon, bro. Dude, my pleasure, man. And, uh, you know, anybody needs to reach out. They got the email. Contact you guys and we'll get, it, we'll get them set up. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.
first responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all-badges, all-uniforms, all-scrubs, educational experience helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact First Responder Trauma Counselors at 970-222-4193, this could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.